Amen. Thank you, folks. Let's take our Bibles this morning, please. Turn to Exodus chapter 33. Exodus chapter 33. And uh, we're going to look this morning at a message entitled, Losing His Presence. Losing His Presence. I am so thankful. It is one of the most wonderful promises of the Word of God that He will never leave us nor forsake us. And we have that wonderful promise because we are church-age believers. We live in the age of grace where the Lord Jesus Christ has sent His Holy Spirit to take up residence in our hearts. The Lord Jesus Christ told the disciples about that in John 14 and 15 and 16 and on and on. And He told them that He must leave. It is expedient for you that I must go, that another may come, another comforter, and He is the Holy Spirit of God. And he outlined in those passages what he would do for us. He would guide us into all truth. He would testify of me and, and so, so many things that the Holy Spirit does for us. And we're not going to get into all the ministry of the Holy Spirit this morning. But you know, there was a time where that promise was not as firm as it is now. We know that in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would reside upon different men at different times for particular service. The Bible talks about how King Saul, how the Holy Spirit departed from Saul and rested upon David. That's an empowerment type of spirit. And if the folks of Israel, the people of Israel wanted to meet with God, they would go through a priest. I'm thankful that we are the priesthood of believers today, that we can go boldly to the throne of grace and we can find grace to help in the time of need. In Exodus chapter 33, we read of a terrible time in the history of Israel. They had just uh, been released by the hand of God from Egyptian bondage. They had come to Mount Horeb, and there uh, they began to complain. And, and uh, God uh, was, was quite upset with them and, and wanted to judge them. And if I can liken it to anything, it's much like what we do in the New Testament. The Bible says we can vex the Holy Spirit, and we can grieve the Holy Spirit, and we can even quench the Holy Spirit of God. And that seems to be what is going on in Genesis or Exodus chapter 33. And I want to see if we can draw some similarities here and understand, uh, thankful, thankful again for the promise that he will never leave us nor forsake us, that we have the enduring promise of the presence of God in our lives. Uh, but I, 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 want to, I want to understand this. I don't want to ever grieve him or vex him or quench him. I don't want to miss out on that. And here's what the truth is. A lot of times we are looking as New Testament believers, we are looking for the experience of Exodus chapter 33, whether we want to admit it or not. We want his promises and we want to keep all these things in our lives that the Holy Spirit gives us without knowing his constant presence and living and dwelling with him. And so let's look at Exodus 33 and see what the word of God has for us this morning. I'm not going to be very long. I've, I've come to understand that with online services, our attention span is not as good. And there's a lot of distractions at home. You say, how do you know that? Because I have had to watch a few as well. And I understand that things can distract very easily. And so we want to be concise and get to our point this morning. But look at Exodus chapter 33. The Bible says in verse 1, And the Lord said unto Moses, Depart and go up hence, thou and the people which thou hast brought up out of the land of Egypt, unto the land which I swear unto Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, saying, Unto thy seed will I give it. So the plan of God has not changed. Understand that as we consider our own lives today, God has a plan for our lives and his plan does not change. We change the plans, but God never does. God has a purpose for your life. Verse two, and I will send an angel before thee and I will drive out the Canaanite and the Amorite and the Hittite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. 
unto a land flowing with milk and honey. For I will no go, for I will not go up with thee in the midst of thee. For thou art a stiff-necked people, lest I consume thee in the way. When the people heard these evil tidings, they mourned, and no man did put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said unto Moses, Say unto the children of Israel, Ye are a stiff-necked people. I will come up into the midst of thee in a moment and consume thee. Therefore now put off thy ornaments from thee, that I may know what to do unto thee. Let's pray. Father, help us, Lord, we pray. We pray, Lord, that you'd help us to draw some things out of the word of God today that would help us and encourage us and strengthen us in our walk with God. As we just sang, we pray that it might be our prayer today that we would have a closer walk with thee. Lord, we do in fact need thee every hour. And so I pray, Lord, that you would just work in our hearts that thought that we do not want to lose Christ for even but a moment. And so Lord, help us, Lord, today. May the Spirit of God teach us I surrender to you and ask for your filling. And Lord, we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the Israelites have just been led out of 430 years of Egyptian bondage, and they've been brought to the mount where they would meet with Moses and God would give his people his law. It was an infamous place for the fact that these restless, impatient people began to fear once again. You'll remember the story that Moses tarried on the mountain a little longer than the people expected. And why not? If you can find the presence of God, why would you ever want to leave? But as Moses descended from the mount, he heard the noise of what Aaron described as war in the camp. And he said, no, it's not war. It's the sound of reveling, partying, if you will. The people were making merry and they had made a, a golden calf and they were worshiping this calf and as they worshiped this calf they would sing and they would drink and they would party and make merry and all kinds of lasciviousness was taking place and you'll remember that Moses threw those tablets of stone and and, and God judged the people of Israel now God has since forgiven them but he was still angry he had decided God had decided that that these were a stiff-necked people And he didn't know that he could spend much more time with them. He would withdraw himself and be their God from afar. And and I'm so thankful today that we have a personal, intimate God that is interested in our lives. Even though we sin, he's deeply involved in our lives. That's what we call grace. But there was a time where God says, "I, I can no longer walk with you. I cannot come up in the midst of these people or I'm going to consume them. There were other times where God said to Moses, Moses, I'm going to consume all the people and I will make of thee a great nation. We'll just start over here. And so God was discouraged. God was hurt. God was offended by the behavior of the people, not because God had failed them, but because they had failed God. They had turned their back on him and did not trust him any longer. I want you to notice in verses 1 through 3, we see, first of all, God threatened to withdraw his presence from his people. The Bible says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Depart and go up hence thou and the people which thou hast brought up out of the land of Egypt, unto the land which I swear unto Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob, saying, Unto thy seed will I give it, and I will send an angel before thee, and I will drive out the Canaanite and the Amorite and the Hittite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite unto a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in the midst of thee. For thou art a stiff-necked people, lest I consume thee in the way. 
You know, for a lot of people today, that would be enough. God is keeping his promise and he'll send an angel and he'll drive out the enemies of God and he'll give us this land flowing with milk and honey. He's giving us his protection and he's giving us his power and he's keeping his promise. And for most people today, that would be sufficient. As a matter of fact, for most people today, we consider that to be living in favor. We look at the blessings of God in our lives and we look at the promises that are kept and we understand the, the wonderful blessings of salvation. And we say, wow, isn't God been good to me? And God has been good to us. But we use it as a measuring stick to say, I must be walking with God. Can I, can I suggest to you to go and read the epistles of the Apostle Paul? The closer Paul drew to God, the more wicked he thought his heart was. He started out saying, I'm the least of all the saints. And then he said, I'm the least of the apostles. And later on, he would say, of sinners, I am chief. The closer he drew to Christ, the more uh, distant he thought he was and understood the need to, to be confessing unto God and keeping a short account with God and cleansing of his sin. But so many today are like the people of Israel that say, we have his presence and we have his promises. What else do we need? You need his presence is what you need. Well, to their credit, the Bible says that the people were hurt by the words of God and Moses was hurt by the words of God. They did not want to go up without the presence of God, but I, I can't help but think that so many today measure God's blessings in our lives and say it is enough without having an intimate personal relationship with him. Friends, listen, there's nothing greater than being in the presence of God. We need to get into the word and we need to spend time in prayer. I, I was so blessed today. I, I was saying to my wife, what a difference. In the last several months even, we've had two Sunday morning services. And the last few weeks, we've had three Sunday morning services. And we get here at 7 a.m. and we rehearse and then we go into church. And we, uh, especially with the three services, we, we get done. Even if we're five minutes late, we, we run back and we maybe grab a water or a coffee we sit for five or ten minutes, and it's time to go and greet people again. And, and it's just a, a circle. And, and, and don't get me wrong, we love meeting with people. That's why we're having three services, so that we can interact with everybody at least once on a Sunday. But this morning, we were able to get up and sit in the chair and have a coffee and read my Bible and pray a little bit and listen to some hymns and, and, and just prepare my heart for the service. And what a wonderful blessing it was just to spend some time with God. And we need that each and every day. We need to spend some time with the Lord. And so often when the Lord is vexed or grieved or quenched in our lives, we're not even aware of it because God is still faithful to his promises. He will not lie to us. And even though he was withdrawing his presence from Israel, he was faithful to his promise. Now look at verse 4. God demanded their penitence. It says, and when the people heard these evil tidings, they mourned. As they should have. And we should mourn when God withdraws from us. And no man did put on him his ornaments. To take off the ornaments in the Israeli culture was a sign of mourning. When they fasted, they were to wash their faces. When they mourned, they were to put off their ornaments. They were not to be uh, decked out in all these uh, things that, that were ceremonial. Verse 5, For the Lord has said unto Moses, Say unto the children of Israel, Ye are a stiff-necked people. I will come up into the midst of thee in a moment and consume thee. 
Therefore now put off thy ornaments from thee, that I may know what to do unto thee. And the children of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments by the Mount Horeb. God says, put off your ornaments. This is not a time of rejoicing. But I believe that when God told them to put off their ornaments, he was reacting to the mourning of the people. See, God is so gracious to us that when we continue in sin, he may chasten us and judge us, but he doesn't necessarily change our behavior. He wants us to come to a point where we feel the conviction of the Spirit of God and we fall upon our faces and we beg God for mercy. And the Bible says the people began to mourn when they heard these evil tidings. And so God said, here's what you can do to get right. Put off your ornaments. This is not a time of rejoicing. That's what the people had been doing, rejoicing around that golden calf. But now he says, put them off and mourn. And the children of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments by the Mount Horeb and simply waited upon the judgment of God. God says, I want to see what I will do with thee. Well, let me ask you this. Does God ever have to think about what he's going to do? No, he's God. He already knows what he's going to do. What God is doing is he's looking for the reaction from God's people. When they put off their ornaments and they begin to mourn, he wants to know, are they going to mourn with sackcloth and ashes? Are they going to weep into the dust? Are they going to fall on their faces before God? And, and, God, and God would react in a sense of how they were mourning their sins. How much chastening would they need? That would depend upon the heart of the people. So God threatened to withdraw his presence and he demanded their penitence. But notice verse 7, it's so important. And Moses took the tabernacle and pitched it without the camp, afar off from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of the congregation. It came to pass that every one which sought the Lord went out unto the tabernacle of the congregation, which was without the camp. There's a fundamental change that takes place in the nation of Israel at this point. Up until this point, and perhaps you have seen these, these diagrams or these charts, that the, the tabernacle of God was pitched in the middle of the camp, and all the tribes of Israel were spread out all the way around in very organized fashion. And, and leaders from each household would go uh, to the priests, and they would offer sacrifice. And, and everybody's tent was pitched towards the tabernacle. But now the Bible says that Moses took the tabernacle, and he pitched it without the camp, afar off from the camp, and he also renamed it it was the tabernacle of the congregation before it was the tabernacle of God it was the very dwelling place of God but God opens up uh, this opportunity now for the people now it is your tabernacle it is a place where you can come and seek after mercy notice as we consider this the Bible says in verse 7 that everyone which sought the Lord went out under the tabernacle of the congregation. It became a personal responsibility. Now, understand this. God says, I will not go up with you. And we know the promise in the New Testament, I will never leave you nor forsake you. God did not forsake these people. He just simply withdrew. He moved outside the camp a short distance. He said, I would liken that to grieving the Holy Spirit. I would liken that to quenching the work of the Holy Spirit. But notice the mercy of God. Anybody who wanted mercy could come to the tabernacle. 
Any man, woman, or child that was grieving in their sin could get up in the morning and they could say, I'm going out to the tabernacle. It is there that I can meet with God and it is there that I can find mercy and it is there that I can find his presence again. Yes, I still have his promises and we still have his power and we have these angels that are going to go before us and protect us and they're going to drive out the inhabitants of the land. But if, if Canaan is that way, I first need to go this way and I need to get to the tabernacle and I need to find the presence of God I would suggest to you this morning that any battle that we must face we must first go to the tabernacle now the Holy Spirit of God dwells within you and the word of God is laying before you and the Bible says he's an illuminating spirit. He will guide us into all truth. And we can grow and mature simply by reading the word of God and feeding that spirit that is within us as he teaches us and grows us. But we must go to him first for any battle we face. As I think about these folks getting up in the morning and going to the tabernacle, think about that tabernacle for a moment. The Bible says that there were sacrifices made there day and night. That those priests would work around the clock, weeks on end. The only time they would stop is when they pulled up the stakes, when they would move that tabernacle somewhere else. And so while you and I are sleeping in our tents and we are resting with our families, there is sacrifice going on on our behalf. And there's a mediator between us and the Father as he does his work. But the Bible says now these people must make an effort of their own. They must awaken in the morning and they must go to the tabernacle and they must seek the very presence of God that they had grieved and shunned and hurt. I'm thankful for the priesthood of believers that no man stands between me and God save Christ Jesus the Lord. There's one meter between God and man. It is Jesus Christ. But friends, that takes some effort. It takes some discipline in our lives if we're going to walk with God and not lose his presence. They had to leave the camp. You know, I suppose that camp had some comfort about it. Now, I, you know, I, I've gone camping from time to time, and it hasn't, it's been years. But as I got, when I was a kid, we camped all the time. I mean, we'd, we'd put a tent up in the backyard, or we'd go to the woods, or whatever. And, and, and it was no problem whatsoever to sleep on the ground. But as I got older, and the ground got colder, my bones got more achy, I want an air mattress. How about you? The last time, no lie, the last time I went camping, I slept in the judge's RV. That's not really camping. That's, uh, that's, uh, uh, that's better than any motel I've ever been in. I mean, it has a fireplace. It has, you know, it was nice. That was, that was our idea of camping. We actually, as a matter of fact, we said to the kids, listen, we're supposed to be camping. Get up, get outside, get some fresh air. And we went outside and there was Austin sitting in a lawn chair watching television on the side of the RV. We were roughing it. We were roughing it. These people... I imagine they were a little bit better equipped than we are when we go camping, right? We, we take a little Coleman stove and we take some water in a jug and we have a, a cast iron frying pan for some eggs and whatever and, and we take a few things, but we're not that well equipped. These people were doing it for 40 years. So they would pack up properly and they would make sure. And I imagine there were some more affluent people that were a little bit more comfortable, but there's, here's the point. Here's what I know about the camp. It offered protection, Understand, as they wandered in that wilderness, there was Amalekites and there was others that sought to kill the people of Israel. There was people that would come, there was wild animals. They were in a wilderness, they were in a desert area. 
There was the elements of, the, of things that were going on as far as weather is concerned. And all these things were a factor against Israel. But staying in that camp protected them. But they had to step out of their comfort zone. And walk outside of the camp. To find the presence of God. If I could encourage you this morning. And perhaps this is part of the, the motive behind this message. Perhaps in the last year we've got a little comfortable and I understand it's, it's not out of choice, it's out of necessity right now. But there's coming a day, and I'm praying it's very soon, where things will open up again. And I'm praying that just not, not just for church, I, I want our community to open up. I want our shop owners not to go bankrupt. We, we want to be a, a blessing to the town of Simcoe in our Norfolk County, so we pray for them as well. As a matter of fact, let me just, just say this. Brother Cody has been working on a gospel track about what true freedom is, and it's about having freedom in Christ Jesus. And we're, we're doing a mailing to all the shop owners in Simcoe, and we're compiling a list of all their names that we might pray for them and letting them know that we're behind them and we're, we're praying for their shops to open one day. And not, not necessarily in a rebellion to the government, but we're just praying for them to uphold them and help them through this difficult time if there's anything we can do to be a blessing to them. And so listen, that, that is our motive. But listen, in the last year, we, we, we tend to get comfortable. There are some that have, when had opportunity, haven't come back to church. Now, I understand that perhaps you have a genuine health concern, but there's others that have just decided the couch is comfortable. We can watch the service from 10.30 to, 10, uh, to 11.30, and we can get on with our lives, and we can have lunch on the table right at noon, and we're not worried about getting the kids all dressed up and cleaned up and getting them to church and going to junior church, and we're not concerned about those things because it's just a matter of turning the TV on and turning it back off, and we're back about our lives again. Don't get comfortable, or you're going to miss out on the very presence of God. You say, oh, but I got his promises, so did Israel. Oh, but we've got his power, yes, so did Israel. We, we know his protection, that's because you're comfortable. But you need to step outside your comfort zone and go seek his face. You know, there's not very many people of God that I know, and there's a few. There's not very many people of God that don't delight in meeting with the people of God. That ought to desire of our heart. The Bible says when we, uh, the, the evidence of our salvation in 1 John chapter 4 is that we have love for the brethren. And we love to meet with God's people. We love to get into church. We love to hear the singing of the hymns. We love to hear the specials. We love to hear from the word of God. And we love to pray with one another and uphold one another and encourage one another and help one another. And those are evidences of our salvation. And friends, don't get comfortable we must step outside the camp and go looking for the presence of God. Now for us, in the New Testament, he's right here. But some of you have grieved him, and you've vexed him, and you've even quenched that holy fire. Life is just flatlined. You say, no, it's plateaued. No, no, it hasn't plateaued, it's flatlined. Isn't it funny how a plateau and a flatline look exactly the same? But you're not growing. You're not on fire for God. We must step outside the camp and go find him. But here's the good news. Anyone, anyone who wanted to seek the Lord could go. Heaven is open wide this morning. The gates of that holy room, that throne room of God's presence, are available to every blood-blot saint today. If you know Christ, you can come and find him. You know, I think... 
Also, we can take a point from this last part in verse 12 through 17. Could I encourage you today, some of you dads, some of you moms, some of you men and women of our church, to get on your face before God and beg and plead with God to do a work in some of our other people. Now listen, don't forget yourself. Sometimes we pray for others and we're, we're praying, praying for that speck in their eye and we've got a beam in our own. I'm not talking about in a pious way like the, the Pharisee in the, in the tabernacle praying over that publican. But what I'm saying is that we need to beg and plead with God's power once again. And God's presence in our lives. Look at verse 12. Moses said unto the Lord, See thou sayest unto me, bring up this people, and thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name, and thou hast also found grace in my sight. He's saying, God, you've told me that you know me, and I have found grace in your sight. Now therefore I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight. Uh, Moses is looking into his bank account and finding what money he's got to write a check with. He's saying, God, here's, here's what you have said. I've got grace, and you know my name, and I am precious to you. It's time for me to cash one of those checks. Now, therefore, I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way, that I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight, and consider that this nation is thy people. He says, if I found grace in thy sight, he says, Lord, show me what I've done wrong. Show me the way, that I might draw closer to you, that I might know thee, and I might find more grace. Verse 14, and he said, my presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. And he said unto him, If thy presence go not with me, carry us up not hence. For wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? Is it not that in that thou goest with us? So shall we be separated, I and thy people, from all the people that are upon the face of all the earth. Listen, let me say this. Great men do great things every day. The difference is that Moses says, Here's what separates us, that people can see the very presence of God upon us. That's the difference. Listen, don't don't judge your success by God's blessing. Don't don't judge and say, well, you know, we're pretty affluent and we have everything we need and therefore God is on my side. No, God always keeps his promises. He will not see the righteous beg bread. But listen, wouldn't you rather have the very blessing and presence of God in your life on a daily basis? The Bible says when God finished speaking, When God finished speaking, the Lord, in verse 11, spake unto Moses face to face, as a man speaketh unto his friend, and he turned about into the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. Joshua says, I'm staying right here, if this is where God is. We need more of that. We need more of God's people seeking God's face. We need more people like Moses that are praying and begging for God's praying. He's saying, God, make me right first. If I found grace in your sight, show me thy way. Let me find grace. And God says, you found, you found grace. And I'll go up with you. Just because of the simple pleas of one man. I wonder how many of us, by our prayers to God, can beg and plead with God to help some folks in our church. To help turn around some wayward teenagers to help with some bus kids that haven't been in church in a year and that maybe have forgotten what it is that, that, that has been taught unto them and, and the devil has sought over the last year to steal some seeds from their heart. Oh, may we pray for them and plead with God that his spirit would not be grieved or vexed. Listen, I'm aware 
very much so. Old Testament and New Testament are very different. And I know that God will never leave us nor forsake us. But you know, he never left Israel either. He was grieved. He was vexed. And for a moment even quenched. Until Moses fell on his face before God and pleaded for his grace and his mercy and his presence today. You know, there really is a turnabout evident in Christianity today. We are yearned for his promises and his power, but we don't seek his face. We don't seek his presence. Listen, I don't want to ever lose his presence. There are times where I do, times for even a day, a moment, and you know it, it grieves in your heart. We need him more than we need anything else. We seek the gifts, but we need to seek the giver. We seek the power, but we need to seek his presence. We need to know him. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. Strengthen us and help us with it, we pray. Lord, I pray that you would be with those today that have missed out on the very presence of God over this little while. They've gotten comfortable. They're in the camp. But God calls us, Lord, to come and seek his face, to rise up early in the morning, to go pursuing a relationship with him. We are told in the New Testament to seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things, all those things that we think are important, all those things that we want and desire shall be added. God just calls them things. But Lord, we must seek his righteousness first. So help us and remind us, we pray. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.